Most of us would like to think that's true. We work long and hard to make a living, sometimes putting up with not-so-great co-workers and supervisors. But even with these frustrations, we go home with our well-earned paycheck. But that's not the case for everyone working in this country, and for guest workers in particular. At least, that's what BuzzFeed News reporter Jessica Garrison, who we just heard from, and her colleague Ken Bensinger found traveling across the country. Jessica and Ken uncovered the more insidious side of the little-known H-2 visa program, which allows companies to bring in temporary foreign workers to fill jobs most Americans don't want. They found guest workers living in broken-down school buses, heard stories of workers threatened at gunpoint and cheated out of their wages. Companies and bosses were bending rules, and sometimes outright breaking them when it came to employee safety. Today, we'll go south of the border into the heart of the South to learn how BuzzFeed News uncovered serious problems with the program. I'm Daniela Vidal, and you're listening to the IRE Radio Podcast. Jessica Garrison was looking into injuries in the logging industry a few years ago when someone sent her information about a lawsuit. And that lawsuit was filed on behalf of a bunch of unnamed guest workers who alleged that they had been held at gunpoint in the forest north east of Sacramento and that they had been forced to drink from a stream and that they had been not paid for their work and that they'd been forced to do kind of things that seem sort of 19th century, like buy handmade shoes from the foreman and eat rotten food and sleep out in the elements. So she did what most of us do when we stumble across something that's a little shocking. She shared it with her colleague, Ken Bensinger. And I showed it to Ken and I said, have you ever heard of this visa program? And he said, I haven't. Um, And then I think he had the brilliant idea while looking if there were other similar types of lawsuits founded by, filed by other guest workers. And in fact, we discovered there were quite a number. So they built a spreadsheet with all the suits they could find involving guest workers who were working in the country under something called the H-2 visa program. And as they added lawsuit after lawsuit, it became more and more evident to Ken and Jessica that something bad was happening. Workers were talking about terrible abuse. Some claimed they were threatened at gunpoint. Others said they were forced to live in rotting trailers. Women came forward with allegations of sexual harassment. To understand why this program is so difficult to navigate, it's important to understand how it works. So before we go any further, we're going to unravel a little bit of how H-2 visas work. Basically, companies in need of temporary workers can file requests for a certain number of guest workers to fill unskilled jobs for places like landscapers, seafood processors, ski slopes, and carnivals. These jobs aren't glamorous, but seasonal businesses depend on the labor. So if a company can't find Americans to do the work, it can apply for permission to bring in legal guest workers from another country. Proponents of the program say it's a good way for people to come into the U.S. legally, work a few months for decent pay, and return to their home country. But the program has a key provision, one that puts workers in a precarious position. One of the rules of the visa program is that your permission to be in the country is tied to your employer. So if your employer fires you or you quit or anything like that, 
you lose your visa and therefore you lose your permission to be in this country. And that puts these workers in an incredibly vulnerable position. Um, and so that that is something that structurally just sort of struck us as having the potential for real problems um, if there are employers who don't follow the rules. And as Ken and Jessica learned, many of them didn't. Jessica and Ken found themselves on a cross-country and international reporting mission, tracking down the people behind these lawsuits. From the Louisiana Bayou to the deserts of Sinaloa, Mexico, the two of them drove thousands of miles to get to the bottom of the flawed program. Along the way, they had help from BuzzFeed News data editor Jeremy Singervine, who worked with them to analyze multiple data sets that provided important context and helped them identify key regions, employers, and visa agents to report on. Throughout their year-long investigation, they learned about a system intended to provide labor for companies and decent wages for workers. But what they saw on the ground and what they heard in interviews painted a completely different picture. They ran into abusive employers, workers too afraid to speak up, and an understaffed Department of Labor that didn't have the manpower to make sure everyone was following the rules. Ken and Jessica knew it would be essential to find people who had worked at some of the companies that employed workers on H-2 visas. A tip led them to Mexico, specifically Tompaloampo, Sinaloa, which sends one-third of its adult population to Louisiana every year. We know this is crazy. We know there's all outrageous abuses sort of everywhere. How do we find them? Well, why don't we figure out where a lot of workers are in Mexico, go hang out with them um, in their off-season or when they're around or the ones who are around, and, ask, and sort of ask them who they work for, hear their stories, and maybe trace it backwards from there to find to find um, companies we think are worth focusing on. And that um, gave us a blueprint for our next, for one of our next trips, which was to Louisiana, where we went in search of workers and also in search of uh, some of the companies that we thought might already be, you know, targets. Ken and Jessica both speak Spanish, and that helped them build rapport with sources who were hesitant, even in their homes, to share their stories. Some feared retribution. Others thought the reporters were government agents and refused to talk with them. One case in particular caught their attention. It involved Sinaloa women who had worked in Mamu, Louisiana, peeling crawfish at a farm called LT West. Seven female workers had filed a lawsuit alleging that the owner, Craig West, shortened their wages, took their passports, threatened them, and sexually harassed them. So once they were back in the States, Jessica went to pay the LT West farm a visit. It was one of many farms both she and Ken visited throughout the investigation. Mamu, a town of 3,500 people, lies smack dab in the heart of Louisiana. And they're way out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I have to tell you because I went out there a bunch of times and I always, like, had to be very, I mean, I, I hope that you'll think this was funny and not too much information, but I always had to be like, all right, no more coffee from this point on and I'm going to, you know, make a rest stop here because once I get out there, like, it's over. In one of their stories, Jessica and Ken recount how two women working at the LT West Farm tried to go out on a double date. But that wasn't happening on Craig West's watch. West, remember, is the owner of the farm, and he didn't want his employees leaving the property. 
So he called the police to give the women, quote, a scare. The cops held the two women in the station until Wes came to pick them up. The whole encounter left the workers, and even the locals they were out with, more than a little shaken up. Fortunately, the police filed a report about the bizarre incident, which helped BuzzFeed corroborate the story. This was just one instance of workers feeling like their rights had been violated. The women also claimed West denied them the right wages and threatened them at gunpoint. West denied all of the allegations. Luckily, the women got away from the farm thanks to the Mexican consulate. Officials there had been told about the plight of these guest workers, and so, in the dead of night, Mexican officials met with the women and witnessed their living conditions. You know, we later learned um, that this is a role that the Mexican, many Mexican consuls around the country play, that, that they will get calls from workers who get into bad situations and will do what they can. And, you know, and they can't, they don't have a, they obviously don't have a, any kind of law enforcement role in the United States, but they do have the ability to uh, advocate and look out for their citizens. Jessica later met with an employee of the Mexican consulate in New Orleans, Belinda Flores Chinchillas, who met with the workers in Mama. You know, I talked to her in New Orleans a couple of years later, and, and she, even two years later, kind of looked like she was about to cry when she was describing the conditions that they were living in. And I, I don't remember the exact words she said, but she, she was just like, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't believe it. It was so bad. Mexican officials can take other steps to help workers out, too. In the past, they've called on the U.S. government to reform the visa program and step up consequences for employers who break the rules. Jessica drove from farm to farm trying to get workers to talk with them. One time they were chased off a property by police and got a taste of what some workers must go through. Officers pulled them over a few miles from the property, thinking the journalists were government agents. We kept saying we are not from any agency, and they kept saying, you have to check in with us when you come. We, you know, we can't protect you if we don't know you're here. Um, and it, it was very odd. I mean, I think it, it illustrated for us the way in which workers feel very frightened, not just of their employer, but also of local authorities, because, um, you know, the, the cops got out there real fast, and, you know, they, they, you know, they obviously didn't do anything to us, in part perhaps because they thought we were federal agents, but, you know, I, I think that if we had been, um, you know, Mexican workers who didn't speak English and, and weren't sort of obviously not that, you know, it could have been a very different and much more frightening interaction. But how do workers get here in the first place? That leads us to another part of BuzzFeed series and the story of one man's H-2 visa empire. The guy behind this multi-million dollar business is Stan Yuri. His story was the third part of Ken and Jessica's series. Yuri established North Carolina-based companies that would bring H-2 visa workers into the country by acting as a subcontractor. He got his start supplying foreign labor in 1989, and by 1999, his businesses were responsible for bringing in more than half of the agricultural guest workers in the U.S. By 2011, with more competition, his companies were bringing in one of eight agricultural workers. I went to North Carolina um, and with plans to talk to him, but really I was planning to talk to someone else who was, I thought was important to the story and thought, while I'm there, I'll knock on Stanieri's door, and of course, ha-ha, he'll never talk to me. And, in fact, um, 
life had other designs for me. And the person I went to North Carolina to talk to refused to talk to me. But Stan Yuri, who was this, you know, the most important character in the story, opened his door, came out and talked to me for 45 minutes. Um, so I, I think for a good 15 minutes of the interview, I was kind of in shock that I was actually talking to Stan Yuri, who I'd been obsessing about for weeks. Um, <laughs> After about 45 minutes, Yuri's wife called him inside the house finally, and the interview ended. Perhaps realizing he said too much, Yuri emailed Ken later that day. Saying that he enjoyed talking to me, but would I please not quote him? And that uh, he was asking me, this was my favorite detail, he asked me man to man not to use the interview. Ken, of course, declined Yuri's request, and the interview went into BuzzFeed's story. One thing that's abundantly clear when you read Ken and Jessica's story on Yuri is that he's a man who is not afraid to file a lawsuit. He'll sue just about anyone who poses an obstacle to his ventures. He sued the Labor Department and won. He sued the state of North Carolina and won. Was there any discussion of, like, the possibility of him suing BuzzFeed? Was there? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there was a lot of discussion about him suing BuzzFeed, and so we really went to great lengths to be really careful um, in everything As we, we said. always do for every story. Yes, thank you. You're right. We're always careful. In this case, we just quadruple checked that every T was crossed and every I was dotted. Yuri's businesses didn't always play by the rules. A 2001 suit pointed out that his main company, the North Carolina Growers Association, had visa order requests from growers who, quote, not only did not employ H-2A workers, but did not even intend to apply for foreign labor, end quote. The typical price for a business to get a visa order from Yuri was about $1,000. Yuri's reach extended well beyond North Carolina. He had companies in Mexico, too. Those businesses would charge workers for their visas, which is illegal. But by 2010, his empire was crumbling. Clients had started calling. The Department of Labor was investigating them. By the time the investigation and consequential trial were over, Yuri faced 67 felony counts. He pleaded guilty to two counts of conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government. He was sentenced to pay a fine of over $600,000 and spend about 11 months in prison, where he still is as of this recording. A few of his businesses were debarred. But just two days after one was banned from doing business, a North Carolina Growers Association formed a new venture, National Agricultural Consultants. Since then, National Agricultural Consultants has won approval for more than 5,000 H-2 visas. And even though it's a new company, the client base hasn't changed that much. Ten of its largest clients had previously gotten visas through an old URI venture. It struck us really hard that this is, this is, that this company can continue and you know, I think there's actually probably more businesses than we were able to find. There's strong indication there's other businesses that they have that are continuing to make money. And, you know, one, 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 I think some back-of-the-envelope type calculations thought that there might be huge amounts of money still coming in through different operations, even if he's sitting in jail. Many of the companies that used Yuri's services didn't comply with labor laws, often cutting back their workers' wages. Some had pretty poor opinions of the Mexican workers they so depended on. And there's, I think, a, a certain subset of employees who believe and will sort of say, state as plain fact, you know, Mexicans 
quote, work harder than Americans, unquote. Um, and that kind of blanket generalization always rings to me false. Um, but I think that there is a very real perception among some users of this program that, you know, if you hire a Mexican on an H-2 visa, you can basically kind of, they will work incredibly hard. They'll never put up a fight. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. They heard story after story about how employees were made to feel isolated or have no voice. Even with suits and complaints, there were many times when the Department of Labor didn't thoroughly pursue each investigation. The department would send people to investigate worker operations after hours, or they would visit farms to get worker interviews after the season was up. And the workers were often misinformed, too. Some simply didn't understand the rights they had under U.S. labor laws. This became really clear when the team went to New Mexico and met some workers in a hotel room. And, you know, one of these workers said something to the effect of, you know, of course we're always paid, you know, X number of dollars an hour, you know, except in states where, you know, the maximum wage doesn't allow that. And, you know, you, as an American, you hear that and you think, wait, what? There's no maximum. I mean, like, what are they talking about? Um, and so you don't know whether that is, you know, has their employer told them that they can't pay them more than X dollars an hour because there's a maximum wage? Are they referring to something else that we don't understand? Or, like, what exactly is happening here? One element of the story that really struck a chord with audiences was the effect the H-2 program had on American workers. The program requires that companies requesting foreign workers show they've attempted to hire qualified Americans first. That can mean things like placing ads letting people know about job openings. But some organizations based in, say, Georgia, would place job ads in Iowa newspapers. They met the requirement, but locals definitely didn't know about openings. Or they would hire American workers and quickly fire them, opening up spaces to hire foreign laborers. The owners of those farms will say, of course I will hire them if only they would work, but they don't want to work. They just want to come here and quit and then sue me. Um, So there's a he said, she said on that. But some readers took that to mean that a lot of Mexican workers want to come and take American jobs. The team struggled trying to make sure they didn't fall on any extremes of the overarching immigration debate. The story was about, you know, this this is a program that has created a situation where some employers can discriminate against Americans so that they can exploit workers on H-2 visas. And, and, you know, people seem to miss that a little bit. For all the abuse and rule bending that happens in the H-2 program, the BuzzFeed team also found it can change people's lives for the better. You know, I was at a place in Louisiana where the, an employer introduced me to a woman whose daughter was in medical school in Mexico City. And, you know, the woman was peeling shrimp and the, the woman who, you know, the employee was peeling, um, sorry, she was peeling crawfish. And the woman, the employer who ran the business, like, looked like she was so proud about this girl going to medical school. You know, she was like as if it was her own. I mean, they, they really are part of the family of the family business and they really do appear to, you know, care about their employees and respect them. Back in Tompoloampo, Mexico, you can see tangible rewards from the work nearly one-third of its population relies on as guest workers. 
Ken and Jessica saw well-built homes, modern appliances, and frame degrees from private schools. This program is the real thing a lot of people depend on, and American businesses depend on it, and foreign workers depend on it, and it just, you just, it's just cutting, off, cutting it, sort of knocking it dead all at once, I think, causes a lot of problems and disruption that can be really painful. When we left Topolobampo, I remember one of the people we spoke to down there, this really amazing guy in Fausto, um, who was a uh, agricultural or an ag- ag- agron- agronomical engineer, whatever the word is, an agronomist, um, uh, and has many very critical things to say about the program, and has seen some really awful things, and was one of the early, early guys who was coming up to do this kind of work. Um, said, you know, I don't want you to misunderstand my criticism. I want this program to be cleaned up, and I want the conditions to be improved for workers, but I don't want it to be shut down. And if it's a choice between putting up with bad conditions or having no work at all, I'll take, I'll take the former. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the data reporting for this story by checking out our interview with BuzzFeed's Jeremy Singervine. We'll have a link in our episode notes. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher to stay up to date with all the latest episodes. Head over to ire.org podcast to browse our archives. On our next episode, Aaron Pellish talks to David Kidwell of the Chicago Tribune about his multi-year investigation into corruption in the city's red light camera program. So we had literally dozens and dozens, tens of thousands of tickets that were affected like this. And uh, and we found, uh, at the end of the day, we found that they were changing what was being enforced from day to day, and there were camera malfunctions, and it was it was just a mess. It was and 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 they nobody. It was almost like they had plugged the city of Chicago into cash machine and walked away. Nobody was watching the store. IRE web editor Sarah Hutchins edits the podcast. You can find both of our emails in the episode notes. That's it for this episode from Columbia, Missouri. I'm Daniela Vidal. Radio. Podcast. Podcast.